Good morning. I add my welcome to Zach's welcome. Glad that you are here with us this morning at Grace Fellowship. If you would, if you have a Bible, turn with me to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus is the second book in the Bible, so it's close to the front. And chapter 20 uh, contains a familiar passage to many, a uh, familiar group of verses, rather, to many. Uh, it's the Ten Commandments, something you may have heard a little bit something about. As we've been making our way through the book of Exodus, we've come to this part, and these, these commandments form the basis for the rest of the law that, uh, that God will give to His people. And so we have, uh, we've begun just kind of breaking them down one by one. And I just want to quickly summarize, if you haven't been with us, uh, what we've seen as we've made our way through this, especially this, this chapter. Uh, the first thing I would say is that you can summarize all ten commandments really under two commandments. Uh, the first, love the Lord your God. And the second, love your neighbor as yourself. Those two Words, those two phrases really summarize all ten commandments. So commandments one through four uh, consist of our love for God. How, how do we love God? Well, commandments one through four tell us how to do that. Then commandments five through ten, how do we love our neighbor? How do we love those around us? Uh, commandments five through ten tell us how to do that. But then, right, there's, a, there's, another, there's another way to look at them in which they are roughly parallel to each other, right? So the, the commandments not only cover our vertical relationship with God and our relationship with other people, so that's every, every key relationship in life is covered in these, uh, in these ten words, these ten commandments. But they also govern every part of our life, both thought, or excuse me, thought, word, and deed. So kind of roughly parallel, right? Commandments 1 and 2 tell us how to love the Lord our God with our thoughts. Uh, Commandment 3 tells us how to love the Lord with our words. And then Commandment 4 tells us how to love the Lord indeed. And then Commandments 5 through 8 tell us how to love our neighbor indeed. Commandment 9, which we're going to look at today, tells us how to love our neighbor in word. And then commandment 10 tells us how to love our neighbor in thought. So you see that they're parallel to each other, right? And we begin and end with the thoughts, right? Because that's, that's really where, uh, as Jesus says, every part of your life is governed by your heart. That's how, that's the Hebrew way of seeing things. We might say our minds or our wills, but for the Hebrew, that was for the Jewish person, that's the heart. The heart is what drives you, right? And so, uh, when Jesus gets in an argument with the religious teachers of his day, right, they, they, they're giving Jesus a hard time because his followers aren't washing their hands as they are prescribed to do. So, um, my germaphobic friends, you'll know, you, you're a Pharisee. So, um, just kidding, just kidding. Washing hands is important. I'm not opposed to washing hands. Um, but, the, the religious Pharisees are giving uh, are giving Jesus a hard time because his disciples don't wash their hands. They're eating with defiled hands. And Jesus says, don't you understand that what comes from outside of a person is not what defiles us. It's what comes from within, right? Out of the evil heart is where the mouth speaks. So bear that in mind as we look at these commandments, right? We begin and end uh, commandments 1 and commandments 10 
uh, all have to do with our, with our heart, our heart towards God and our heart towards man. And we'll talk more about that next week. Today, we're going to talk about how we love our neighbors with our words, right? Um, so let's, uh, let's read Exodus chapter 20, verse 16. This is on page 61, if you're using the Bible in the rack there in front of you. And I'm going to actually read verse 2. This, every time we read a commandment, I want to read verse 2 so that you have a right frame for understanding God's law. God says this, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Verse 16, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Let's pray. God in heaven, we need your help to unpack this word. And so would you, Holy Spirit, come and would you do that? Lord, I pray that you would help me to interpret correctly, truthfully, rightly. God, and that you would open our ears, that you would open our eyes, that you would, un, uh, that you would break our, our hardened hearts. Lord, that as, even as we hear this command, that our hearts would be broken over our sin and that we would run to you, the faithful and true God. So, Lord, would you, would you cause your word to come with power? And then we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words may never hurt me. You might remember that little playground mantra. Uh, maybe as a parent, you've said that uh, you've said that to your children, right? You know, somebody said something mean. Little Sally's feelings have been hurt, and some well-meaning grown-up has said, "They're just they're just words, honey. Words words don't words don't really hurt. They're just words." And wouldn't it be nice if that were true? But it's really not true, is it? In fact, more often, in some cases, it seems like words can actually do more damage than sticks or stones. Words can wound us deeply. Uh, what we say, whether that's with our tongues or with our thumbs, uh, what we say matters to God just as much as what we do. What we say matters to God just as much as what we do. They are, they are both important to God. Uh, we can sin in both ways. And so if you're kind of in the mindset of thinking, well, saying something and doing something are two different things. You need to know that God does not view those on, on two different levels, right? They're, they're both falling into the ten commandments. And so they are viewed equally uh, as uh, as part of the law, right? What we say and what we do matter to God. So here's how we're going to unpack this today. Uh, first, we're going to we're going to talk about the meaning of this command. When I say speak the truth, we're going to talk about okay, what does this command mean? What's being covered when we hear "Do not bear false witness"? And then second, we're going to apply the command. So living the truth. Uh, and then finally, we're going to talk about what it means to trust the truth or trust the one who is the truth. So let's start with the meaning of the command. What do we when, when we talk about speaking the truth? Uh, we, we need to we need to nuance it a little bit because the commandment doesn't say do not lie. 
doesn't say that. Uh, it says, do not bear false witness against your neighbor. So let's talk about what that means narrowly and broadly so that we can apply it a little bit better. Because I think it does have to do with speaking truth and lie. But let's begin with its narrow meaning. Uh, obviously, when we talk about bearing witness, strictly we're talking about a courtroom setting. Okay, this is, this is a law that would, in its most narrow sense, govern a court of law. And so, uh, and if you've ever been, uh, if you've ever had to deal with court or been involved in a court case, you know that witnesses are key. A good witness, uh, well, a witness in either direction can mean life or death for the person who is accused. That's true today. It was true in Israel, right? That good witnesses, truthful witnesses, were key to the justice system working. If you don't have truth-speaking witnesses, then you really don't have much of a case or you have a very perverted uh, justice system. When there are no good witnesses, there is no justice. And so this law sought to protect that and all of the laws that came out of it. In fact, you can see how important this concept was by later laws that were developed. No one could be accused in Israel. No one could be accused by one witness. If you were going to bring a charge against someone, you had to have at least two or three witnesses. And in case you thought that might be like a fairly easy thing to do, the witnesses in a case, if, this, if it were a case where somebody was going to get the death penalty, the witnesses were required to be the ones who threw the first stone. Right? So the, if you were going to bear witness against someone, say, in a murder trial, you would be the one, if that person were convicted you would be the person who had to actually begin the execution. Better be sure about your witness, right? Uh, not only that, but if you were a false witness, if you were found out to be a false witness, whatever penalty you were seeking to impose on that accused person actually was now going to be imposed on you. And so we see that in the Old Testament... Witness-bearing was important. Being truthful in witness was important. Proverbs 19.5, a false witness will not go unpunished, and he who breathes out lies will not escape. So being a trustworthy witness was literally a matter of life and death. But that's not the full extent of the law. It actually broadens out a little bit. What is the, the broad meaning? And I'll just summarize it this way. The broad meaning of this is being truthful in all of life. And not just in the courtroom, but also uh, in, in the home, in the place of business, right? That, that you are to be truthful, particularly with your words, in all of life. I read to you last week from a, a catechism, which is just a, a teaching tool. We use it in our worship service to help us remember the truths of the, of the Christian faith. This catechism, the Westminster Larger Catechism, comes out of Great Britain in the 1600s. Here's, how, here's what it says. The ninth commandment, this is the, just the, the summary of all that it says. The ninth commandment requires that I promote truth between man and man and the good name of my neighbor as well as my own. So this commandment, not only requires that I not tell a lie, but that I even have an eye to your reputation. And those of you maybe who've had your reputation sullied, who've lost a few pegs, who've had your name attacked, you know how important a name is, right? 
that in some cases, uh, a good name is better, uh, as well as the proverb says, a good name is better than riches, right? To have a good name is better than to be wealthy. And so this commandment, in the broad meaning, means I ought to protect not just my own name, but also your name. Another catechism, older than this one, that comes out of Germany, called the Heidelberg Catechism, it says this, What is the aim of the ninth commandment? That I never give false testimony against anyone. Easy enough, right? If I never go to a courtroom, that should be easy enough, but let's keep going. Twist no one's words. You ever manipulated what somebody said? Just just spun it just a little bit so that you came out the hero and them not so much? Twist no one's words. Not gossip or slander. Nor join in condemning anyone rashly or without a hearing. Anybody in here ever rush to judgment without hearing the whole case, without getting all the facts? Breaking the ninth commandment. Rather, in court and everywhere else, I should avoid lying and deceit of every kind. These are the very devices the devil uses. And they would call down on me God's intense wrath. Now, let's pause right there for a second, because I think we're kind of prone to excuse our our words and say, well, you know, that's not that big a deal. But here the writers of this of this uh, of this old catechism say, no, to to use words in deceit is to call down God's wrath. And if you know the Bible, if you think back to what it was that led Adam and Eve astray, it was words. It was a it was a subtle half truth. Right. And so words matter. Words matter to God. Truth matters to God. In fact, think about it this way. God is the one who invented words. He is a communicating, speaking God. And if that's true, and He is a truth-telling God, then the way that we use our words would matter to Him. Because really, it's a gift that He's given to us. They're His tools, not ours. And we ought to treat his tools better than my kids sometimes treat my tools. I'll keep going. I should love the truth, speak it candidly, and openly acknowledge it. And I should do what I can to guard and advance my neighbor's good name. So there's another, again, guarding my neighbor's good name. I'm not just looking out for myself, but I'm, trying, but I'm using the truth to take care of my neighbor. And not using the truth to slander or hurt my neighbor. So this is more than not telling a lie in a courtroom or on a church property. I love it when people say, hey man, you're lying in a church. Bro, it don't matter where you lie. You can lie in this building. You can lie in Main Street Cafe and you can lie in your bedroom. It's all the same to God. Okay, it doesn't matter. This, this, this ground is not any holier because of its architecture. Okay. A lie here does not carry a weightier penalty than anywhere else. All right? Uh, But keeping this command is more than that. To keep this command is to love the truth and my neighbor by protecting his name, her name, and my own. So when I intentionally deceive my neighbor to harm them, I break this command. I've done it this week and had to apologize for it. Now... Does this mean, and this is, this is just kind of a, an aside, uh, but it's a question.
question that has been wrestled with, does this mean we tell the truth all the time and in all circumstances? And there have been Christians traditionally who have said absolutely every time, no exceptions. Now, um, I will differ just slightly, but, but I want you to hear what I'm saying. Qualify it with, as the commandment does, my neighbor. So ask the question, who is my neighbor? So the example that everybody, uh, that ethicists usually think of is World War II, uh, Hitler is rounding up and murdering Jews, and you are hiding them in your basement when the soldiers come by. And they say, are you hiding Jews? Are, at that moment, will you break the sixth command by keeping the ninth and speaking the truth, right? Saying, yes, I got to tell the truth, they're in the basement. Or do you, quote unquote, break the ninth commandment? Now, so let's, let's unpack that a little bit. Is, is deceit in that case breaking this commandment? Another way to ask the question is, is literally everyone my neighbor? And I'm going to argue that an enemy is not your neighbor. Now, Jesus says we can love our enemies, which we can absolutely do. We love our enemies and we pray for justice at the same time. Those two things are not opposed to each other. Okay. And so there's a couple of examples in scripture that I would point to. There's several. Uh, I'm going to point out two. Okay. Uh, One from this book, Exodus chapter one, uh, Israel is enslaved in Egypt Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, uh, is ready to exterminate the Jews. This is a common theme in history, by the way. Uh, Pharaoh wants to get rid of the Jews, and so he tells two Hebrew midwives to kill every baby boy that is born. So when they're there at the birth stool, as it says, if, if it's a boy, kill it right then. And if it's a girl, let it live. And the text tells us that those Hebrew midwives did not do as Pharaoh told them to do. When they were asked about it, Pharaoh calls them into account, right? He calls them in a sense to court because that's what it was when you were before the king. He says, why didn't you do what I told you to do? And here's what they say. The Hebrew women are stronger than the Egyptian women. They give birth before we can get there. Now, that would probably been a little insulting to Pharaoh, right? Was that true? Possibly. We don't know. We don't, we don't, like, did they, did did the Hebrew midwives delay getting there so that they didn't have to do what Pharaoh asked them to do? Did they simply deliver the children, uh, and not do so outright lying to Pharaoh? Um, outright deceiving Pharaoh? Is that, we don't, we don't know, right? We don't have the specifics, but we do know this. Both women were commended and blessed for their actions. God blesses them for deceiving the enemy of his people. I would argue that in that moment, Pharaoh is not acting as a neighbor. He is acting as an enemy to God's people and to God. And in that case, deceit is warranted. Similar, if if warfare is just, we have veterans and we have some soldiers in the room, right? You don't tell the enemy where your guns are, right? You don't tell them, you don't, you don't, you don't lead the enemy to your base, right? In fact, there are several strategies where you aim to deceive the enemy so that you have the element of surprise. In just warfare, that is not breaking the ninth commandment. And that leads into my second example from the book of Joshua. Joshua chapter 2. Israel, this is now um, several years later, uh, 40 years later to be exact, 
Israel is about to go into the promised land and they must conquer Jericho. This is a walled city, heavily fortified. They must destroy it to gain access to the promised land. And so Joshua sends spies into the city. The ruler of Jericho hears about it and he sends his soldiers to go looking for the spies. A prostitute named Rahab shelters the spies. She says, I'll hide you if you will promise that my family, that me and my family will not be destroyed when you come to take the city. The spies say, that sounds like a plan. Rahab hides the spies. She deceives the soldiers. The spies live. Rahab's life is spared. Did did Rahab break the ninth commandment? Again, I would argue that in that case, Jericho is an enemy, not a neighbor. Okay? And so... I would argue that that in those in that case it is not uh, it is not a breaking of the ninth commandment. I'll use one more example. We talked about hiding Jews from uh, in Nazi Germany in World War II or in um, in Europe. Let's say uh, that you so North Korea, full on communist country. Uh, Bibles are banned in North Korea. Uh, Christ, you cannot talk about Christianity. Uh, that is illegal. Uh, if they find you, if they hear you, if they find that you have a Bible, uh, you will at best go to prison. At worst, you may be executed, right? So it is against the law in North Korea to have a Bible or to profess faith or to talk about Jesus, all right? So are you... Right, let's, so I, one story I heard of was a family, a Christian family in North Korea. They had a Bible. They hid it in a tree on their property uh, so that, and then they would sneak out when nobody was looking and they would get their Bible out of the tree, bring it home, and they would read it. And in order to keep, keep safe, they would go put it back out in the tree, right? And I'm sure if they were asked if they had a Bible in the home, they would probably say no. Friend, I would argue that is not breaking the ninth commandment. Because that law is opposed to God's law. The North Korean government is not a neighbor. They are an enemy. Okay? So that's just kind of an aside on what it means to be truthful and keep the ninth commandment. Um, you might want to argue with me after that and that's, and after this and that's perfectly okay. Now, so I would say this. So in the same way that not all killing breaks the sixth commandment, not all deceit breaks the ninth commandment. But, the burden of proof lays on the person who wants to do the deceiving. If you're going to try to deceive somebody, you need to be able to prove kind of what I just said. So you have to weigh that decision out carefully. This is not an excuse for us to start using white lies and, um, and, all, that, and all that stuff, okay? All right. So that's the meaning of the ninth commandment. That's, that's speaking the truth. Let's talk about living the truth. Particularly, what does that mean for us now, right? So that's Old Testament, what does that mean for us in the New Testament, particularly those of us who would say, yep, I'm a Christian, uh, I'm in Jesus, how do, I, how do I work this commandment out? Two passages I would point you to. The first uh, Paul read for us earlier, Ephesians 4.25 says this, Having put away all falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. So Paul's saying the normal way of life before uh, coming to Jesus is to trade in falsehood. But I'm saying now that you're in Jesus, you put that falsehood away. 
We belong to each other. We are all members of the body of Jesus, so we don't need to lie to each other. Let's speak the truth to each other. We owe Jesus that. We owe each other that. He says something similar in Colossians 3, 9. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. So lying and deceit and falsehood were considered, are considered part of the old life. The life that has been crucified with Christ is a life of falsehood. Uh, and so we want to put on what is true. So how do, I, how do I apply this? What are some different ways we might work this out uh, in our own lives? The first thing I would say, and this is based on uh, when Jesus says, let your yes be yes and your no, no. All right. What Jesus is dealing with, this is in uh, Matthew 5, verse 37. Jesus is dealing with oaths and taking oaths. And what would happen is people would say, oh, I swear by the most sacred rock in the holy temple that I will uh, do this for you on this and this day. Right. And we do that. Right. We we I, I swear I'm going to get it done. Just give me three more weeks, that sort of thing. Jesus is saying, you don't have to do that. You don't need to swear by anything. But be so honest, be so, uh, have such integrity that when you say yes, it means yes. And when you say no, it means no, right? Uh, so keep your word, do what you say you are going to do when you're going to do it. And that may mean that you have to think a little more, like before, when somebody says, hey, can you do this for me? That may mean you need to take a step back, right? Because some of us, some of us have a yes problem, okay? We love to say yes, and we've said yes to way too many people, and there's no way we're going to pay all those obligations, right? Probably should have taken a step back. Now, some of us have a no problem, right? Some of us delight in saying no, particularly to our children, right? But without thinking about it, you say no, right? Uh, Take a step back and let's let's use our words more carefully. Let's mean what we say. Uh, second, gossip and slander. All right, gossip, uh, slander would be intentionally uh, intentionally saying something that is false about another person. Intentionally uh, destroying the character or name of another person. That's most certainly breaking this commandment. Gossip would be passing along or talking about information that you don't really know is true or false. You're just talking about it. And so questions that you want to ask yourself. And, and sometimes I'll hear people say this. Well, I didn't say anything that wasn't true. Okay. I just like saying it like it is. Gotcha. Um, ask yourself these questions before you speak. Even if something is true, is it necessary? Is it necessary that you say to this person what you are about to say? If not, let it go. Believe it or not, it doesn't have to be said. Is it kind? Are you seeking to be kind and encouraging to the person about whom you are speaking? Whether that's me speaking to you directly about something or speaking about somebody else behind their back. Am I being kind and encouraging? Paul uh, Paul says in Ephesians 4.15, he says, speak truth in love. And the reason we speak truth in love, he says, is to build one another up. Some of us just like speaking truth. And we're not really all that concerned about whether or not it builds up. We're just trying to build us up, right? We got to validate our own stock price. Don't do that with your words because you're breaking the ninth commandment. Speak truth in love so that we build one another up. That's what it means to apply this, all right? Now, 
which absolutely applies to social media and the need to say everything that comes to your that comes to mind. Friend, you do not have to say everything that comes into your mind. And in fact, uh, there is for, for most of us, not everybody, but for most of us, there's a filter in place when we're talking to a person face to face. Right. There are things we would not say. That filter goes away in text messages, in tweets, and in Facebook posts, etc. All right? I'm asking you, let's, let's agree with each other. Now, I can't agree with everybody in here, but for those of us that we belong together, you're a member of Grace Fellowship, can we go ahead and agree with each other that we're not going to handle serious business any other way than verbally face-to-face? If I could tell you how many marriage conversations I've had would go different go differently, uh, if people didn't use text message to communicate their feelings. Those just are not ideal forms of communication. Let's guard our tongues a little bit better than that, okay? Um, we, can, we can do lots of damage with our thumbs without even realizing it. So let's, uh, so, so ask yourself those questions. Is it necessary that I say what I'm about to say? Is it kind? Is it building this brother or sister up? If it's not, let it go. Along with that, another way to apply this, give other people the benefit of the doubt. This is that part of the commandment about guarding your neighbor's good name, right? When sinners are concerned, in other words, when humans are concerned, there's no such thing as a no-spin zone. I'm always, I'm always spinning. I'm always spinning it to my favor uh, and against you, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spin it in a way that makes me look like the hero and you look like the bad guy. And that, that's true even when I, even, even when I think about uh, your, your motives and intentions, right? Well, she's just, she's just not talking to me because she's mad at me. Have you asked her about that? No. How do you know? I just, I just know. Now listen, that may be true. I'm not saying it's not. But this commandment actually calls us to something deeper. It calls us to not assume the worst about the other person, but to assume the best. And I know that's hard. Particularly if that person has grieved you and wronged you and wounded you. But we are not to assume bad motives or intentions on the part of other people. We ought to give others the benefit of the doubt. That means thinking the best about them. Okay? We have this phrase in American justice, innocent until proven guilty. Jesus says, in fact, that, that, that idea, innocent until proven guilty, comes out of uh, Christian doctrine, okay? Jesus says, and I realize that this, this, this is often misused, Jesus says, do not judge lest you also be judged. Now, Jesus is not saying don't make moral judgments, okay? Because he makes them... Uh, He tells his people to make them. Here's what Jesus is saying. The measure that you use to judge another person will in turn be used of you. So if you are comfortable with the standard that you have for judging someone else being applied to you, go with it. But I would imagine that most of us are not comfortable with that, right? That if you want other people to think well of you, to think the best of you, to not assume a wrong intention then do others the same. 
Judge with the amount of judgment you want to be used of you. And I think most of us would prefer charitable judgments, right? Don't assume that I'm going to do something wrong right off the bat. So, uh, now this doesn't mean uh, that we don't disagree or that we never say a hard word to a brother or sister. But it does mean that we have to represent one another fairly, right? That means that if I'm going to get in an argument with you, and I don't mean like fighting argument, but if I'm going to get in a, in a disagreement with you, here's a good practice. Be able to articulate your opponent's argument better than they can, right? And so uh, on a one-to-one basis, on a counseling basis, especially if there's strife in a relationship, ask the question, all right, so, so before you respond, which I realize can be hard in the moment, but before you respond, say, if I'm hearing you correctly, you're saying dot, dot, dot. And give that person an opportunity to say, yes, that is what I'm saying, or no, it's not. It works wonders. Now, that takes some emotional fortitude in the middle of a fight. You may actually have to go to a different room and calm down for a second. But say, if I'm hearing you correctly, what you're saying is dot, dot, dot. And you give that person an opportunity to say, yes, I am, or no, I am not. Right? It's amazing what that does to slow down uh, the, the speed of a disagreement or an argument and to help further the cause of truth, which, hey, is what the ninth commandment is all about. And then the final way that I would apply this, uh, that I think this is applied, particularly in the New Testament, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus has been crucified and buried, and he's risen again, and he looks at his disciples and he says, I'm going to send my Holy Spirit, and here's what he's going to do. You will be my witnesses. The word witness is all over the New Testament. It's applied to God. It's applied to Jesus. He's called, he calls himself the faithful and true witnesses. Excuse me, the faithful and true witness. But then his people are called witnesses. That's actually what the word martyr, the Greek word martyr means, is to be a witness. But do you know that if you look for the verb, like, all right, because we talk a lot in Christian circles about, oh, you need to witness, all right? You got to go witness to so-and-so. That, that language is actually not used in the New Testament. People, people who are in Jesus are simply called witnesses. They're not told to witnesses. Jesus just simply says, you will be my witnesses. So you have to ask the question, are you going to be a false? Are you going to be a true witness? Are you going to bear, when, when the opportunity arises, will you testify in court? Whether that's the, whether that's the actual court as has to be done in places like China and North Korea, or the court of public opinion, as has to be done in America? Will you testify to the reality of what Jesus has done in your life? That's what it means to be a witness. To simply testify to what you have seen, to what you have heard. That's how the church was built. And in order to do that, right, so now that I've gone through all those, hopefully I've hit just about every single person in the room, including myself, like, great. Uh, one more commandment that I have managed not to keep uh, even today. How, how are we redeemed, right? Like if we're going to be honest, if, I mean, this is what the law does, right? The law lays us bare. Um, every one of us is a liar. Every one of us has perjured himself or herself, right? We have not guarded the good name of our brothers and sisters. Uh, we have at times slandered and gossiped. We have a lot to account for. How are we redeemed from that? Like the debt that we've incurred, we cannot... The debt even the, that we've incurred with our mouths, we cannot pay back. 
There's not enough truth that we could tell to overcome the lie. So how are we redeemed from our lying and gossiping and brought into truth? And that's the third point. We have to trust the truth. We have to trust the one who is truth. Behind this commandment of not bearing false witness is a God who cannot lie. Everything he says is true. And he keeps every promise that he makes. He always tells the truth. Everything true. In fact, he is truth itself. Everything that is true in the world, whether it's this book or two plus two equals four, comes from him. All truth is God's truth because he is truth. In fact, when Jesus comes in the flesh, he says this about himself in John fourteen six: I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So if you want to know real, true truth, you have to know Jesus. You have to come to Him. Turn with me to John chapter 8. We'll close here. In John chapter 8, Jesus is in a disagreement with... Jesus got in disagreements, by the way, with Jewish leaders all the time. He was very charitable to those who wanted his help, but to those who used the truth to manipulate and hurt others, he was not charitable at all. So Jesus is in a disagreement. John chapter 8, verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, we're going to come to find out they hadn't really believed in him. They were just kind of, they, they were kind of halfway there, but not quite on board. Jesus says this, if you abide in my word, if you dwell in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. You've heard that phrase, no doubt, before. They answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? So basically, these people were saying, we don't need freedom. We're not anybody's slaves. Here's what Jesus says. Verse 34, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. My hope today is that you have seen that you are a slave to sin. If you practice sin, you are a slave to it. By, by, even by the words that you say. Everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. And the slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. It is not enough to know truth in general in order to come out of the cave. In in order to come out of the darkness of the lie, you must come to the one who is the truth. In order to be transformed from a liar to a true witness to a truth teller, you must Place your life in the hands of the one who is the truth embodied in the flesh. And so I invite you this morning, come out of the darkness of the lie. That lie that the serpent told Eve in the very beginning. Did God really say? The lie that we believe that God is not good, that God is withholding. Come out of that lie and come to the truth that is in Jesus and be rescued. Repent of your falsehood and trust in the one who forgives liars and cheats and welcomes them to his family. Let's pray. God in heaven, your word is true.
And now we pray that You would apply it to our hearts. More than, more than just simply having information to process, more truth to catalog away, but God, that we would actually repent of our falsehood. That we would put away falsehood, as Paul says, and that we would run to truth. And that as we run again and again and again to the truth, to you, that we would increasingly become people who tell the truth, who live the truth, who speak the truth in love, that our brothers and sisters may be built up in you. Would you make this so? By the power of your Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Here at Grace Fellowship, uh, giving is part of worship. Uh, that's why we include.